Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to the Healing with Me show. I'm excited about my show today. I have um, two co-hosts today who are very good friends of mine. I can't wait to just chat it up with them on the show today. And we also have a guest um, that I'm excited to introduce to our audience and what she does and amazing things that she's doing with um, young ladies in um, in Michigan. I'm just, I'm excited about this because I think this is the fresher breath air that we're going to need today with everything that's going on in our world today. I think sometimes we just need to break away from it, not to forget about it, not to act like it's not happening, but to just say I need to breathe and I need to get back to what it has been for me all along and get back to our purpose and um, move forward in that because we cannot forget the purpose that we were given. We cannot put that off to the side. We cannot put it on the back burner. That is what the enemy wants us to do. It wants us to forget our calling. It wants The enemy wants us to think that we can't get through it or we can't push forward, but we can and we will. The Healing With Me show is about healing together, to letting the world know, letting each, each and every one of us know that we can heal and we will heal. heal. And making sure that we are part of the healing community in our, in our nation. And, and that's what it's about. So today we're getting back to what this show has been about and what this show will always be about, and that is healing. As always, I want to open up. I want to open up with prayer because in all things, I, I just like to give God His glory because it belongs to Him. And as we know, if we give God what's His, He'll give us what's ours. Father God, we just thank you for this time that you've given us. To Father God, to just put that message of hope out there, Lord God, to testify on your behalf, Lord God. And we just ask that you would help us to decrease while you increase in us and let this message be about healing and let us come forth with what you bring out of our mouth, Lord God. And we give us, give us wisdom, Lord God. Give us understanding, Lord God, and help those that are listening to know no matter what, that there is hope. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I want to quickly introduce uh, my co-host. And we'll get back to talking to them um, after our first guest. But I want to thank Amanda. Hey, girl, Amanda Elliott and Teresa Chandler. These are my girls, man. These these my peeps right here. Thank you for um, jumping on with me to co-host. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. We are so excited to be here. <laughs> and they are best friends. So if Hopefully, personally, they don't they don't get at it on the show, and um, and, and you know I do have a, a iPhone. That's an inside joke. I'm 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 calling into an iPhone. <laughs> I, I promise you. Are you sure? I will never I will never live it down. Never live it down. No, I'm also know. so excited about our guest today, like Arnetta. I'm oh, so excited. I, I know, I know, I know. So. Um, why don't you introduce our guest today since she's so excited? Um, we have today our Arnetta Ford, and she um, it works with us here in Michigan, and she worked at the women's facility here in Michigan for a very long time. She did some amazing work there. Um, 
He is one of our best facilitators of our parenting program that the women go through. And the ladies absolutely love her. And even after she retired, she chose to come back voluntarily. And she still runs parenting groups um, inside the facility for the ladies. She also is involved, and in what she's going to talk about today is the Michigan Prison Doula Initiative. And she will be able to tell you all about her role as a doula and the work that she is doing and continues to do inside our women's facility because she believes in hope. And she is a champion for change. Yeah, welcome, welcome, Arnetta. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tony. I am really honored to be here today. Seriously. Well, I'm so honored <laughs> for you to be here. I, you know, when I met you, you know, meeting you is meeting is like you're like a like a rainbow of colors. You just got this personality that attracts people, and 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 just for a lot of reasons. That's why I say rainbow because there's so many things that attract people to you you know what I mean I met when I met you and of course I mean anybody I know in Detroit these days I met through <laughs> through our co-host and so it was just amazing to to get to know you and you're just so passionate about your work which I think that we miss and, and I'm gonna be honest with you I'm gonna be honest with you because you know I keep it real and I keep it raw I did not know what a doula was and um I knew what a midwife is. But I was like, what in the world is a doula? So tell our audience, because, you know, hey, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of tuners listening right now. So tell us, what exactly is a doula? Well, doula comes from the ancient meaning in Greek, which is woman's service. We are, as birth doulas, we are essential professionals trained in childbirth who provide continuous, non-judgmental, emotional physical, and educational support to birthing partners, birthing persons and their partners. We strive to minimize stress and fear in that birth process, which then will instill, um, will reduce the adrenaline and increase the oxytocin, which is love hormone that facilitates contractions. There have been a lot of studies about the impact that doulas can have in the labor space with families, and the research has shown that continuous doula support reduces the likelihood of a cesarean by 39% and increases the likelihood of a spontaneous vaginal birth by 15%. When laboring persons have continuous support, they are less likely to have negative feelings about their birth experience, and those who prefer to have an unmedicated birth are more likely to um, achieve that. Um, It's really interesting, and black birthing persons are four times more likely to die from pregnancy and birth-related complications than their white counterparts. Um, Factors Racism, sexism, income inequality, and lack of resources unquestionably influence the black person's experience. Serena Williams is proof that it's not just a socioeconomic issue. She communicated Mm -hmm. her concerns, but she was not heard. The concerns of black birthing persons are often ignored, and their pain is diminished. Um. The disparities in black maternal and neonatal outcomes in Michigan in 2018 
the white infant mortality rate was 4.5 per 1,000 live births, while the black rate was 15.1 per 1,000 live births. So having a doula can prepare a family for some of the challenges they may experience as people of color. And obviously we serve all birthing persons and not just the birthing person. We support the partner or the parent or whoever else may be in the space with the mom as she um, gives birth. And it's a lot of different things like the um, emotional support helps the person and the partner feel cared for and empowered. Mm-hmm. And again, that continuance presence, the reassurance, the encouragement, the praise, the mirroring, calmly describing what the person has experienced and echoing back to them that helps with the feelings that they are um, dealing with at the time. Even the physical support can look different depending on what the family needs or wants. Uh, Sometimes it's just your um, calming presence. And that's one thing that we really try to do is to keep the space as peaceful and calm as possible. But then it could be, you know, we do hip squeezes and hold hands and apply cloths and give ice chips and also encourage the partner to do as much of that as they may want to do because the interaction between a partner, if they're there, will increase the oxytocin as well. And we always laugh and say, well, you know, how you got the baby in can be how you got the baby out. So the partner can help a lot more than we can. Mm-hmm. And then there's an education. People often don't know what their options are. Yeah. So, so, so that's, that's my question to you. So we, we, so we know that statistically um, that um, those of um, that black, black people, those of color just had such a, a higher rate of dying in childbirth because of economical reasons and uh, and just not having that support and awareness and all of that. But if, if that's the case, how is this afforded? Where, do, where does the funding come to make sure that those that don't have access to a doula such as yourself, how, I mean, how are you, how is that being supported financially? And what does that mean for the person financially? Well, that can be a challenging part. Um, a lot of doulas will work at reduced rates. There are agencies, there are like Michigan, University of Michigan has a doula doula program where they can request a doula. And then there are some nonprofits that you can have. They are reduced rates for laboring families. Um, because I'm like, oh, my goodness. People need this. And when we think about the trauma survivors and those that have already a hard enough time going, you know, dealing with day-to-day lifestyle because of what happened to them, and then they get pregnant, what a difference that this can make to help them to continue um, a healthier lifestyle. I know this. I'm going to have uh, my VP of case management get in touch with you because I want my nonprofit to offer this service. You know, I want you, I'm going to be, con- we're going to contact you to find out what we need to do, how we need to get people trained, what we need to do, because, my goodness, this should be life-saving and life-changing for people. 
Yes. I agree with you, Tonier. Um, There are some states that are working on getting doula services covered by insurance. Like Um, Medicaid, okay. I can't can't speak specifically for which ones because I don't know, but I know that it is in the um, works in some states. We doulas also, there are postpartum doulas, and their work is done in the home with the families after babies are right. born. Continuum of the providing the emotional, physical, and, and emotional support. You know, we try to assist them with the transition into the postpartum period after having a new baby. And, you know, that can look different too. You know, some families like, um, assistance in the daytime, especially if they have other children, they may just need you to maybe entertain the or distract the younger children so that they can have time with the baby. Even something as simple as being able to take a shower in peace. Um, I'm passionate about all of the work, but I'm really passionate about overnight postpartum work because then families get to rest and sleep and the doula is there to take care of the baby, you know, during the night. And it's very um, rewarding when they, um, the parents get up in the morning and you see that they are no longer stressed out and they know that their baby has been fed, changed, everything has been taken care of, well, take care of for during the night. So I, I have a question for you, Arnetta. You know, working in the prison system, you obviously see the extent that um, of impact that trauma has on our our clientele. Um, talk to me about what you're doing in the in Michigan prisons with the Doula Initiative, and what do you see as the fruit of that labor? And oh I love that question. I love that question. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Arnetta Ford and my co-host, Amanda and Teresa. Loving, loving this, guys. Loving this. Um, let's go to break. Um, we're going to listen to Open My Heart with Yolanda Adams. We're going to come back, and we're going to pick up where we left off with Arnetta Ford, guys. If you're listening, listen well. This, what she's talking about, is life-changing and saving lives. We are still with Arnetta Ford talking to us about the critical role of having a doula. And, okay, thank you, thank you. I just, you know, Arnetta, you just got me so excited about this. And, and so, you know, it's like if you don't know, you don't know. But when you don't know, you can't ignore it. When you do know, you cannot ignore it, right? So um, right. there was a question that, that you were asked right before the break. Um, Let's repeat the question first, first, just in case somebody's just joining us, please. Well, with with, with the fact that we know that so many of um, our our incarcerated uh, mothers um, who come in pregnant into the facilities having experienced extreme trauma, um, your work right now with them inside our institutions has to be having huge impact. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that looks like um, for you and for the state of Michigan um, with our um, pregnant offenders? Yes, it has been an amazing experience. Um, I don't know what I expected going into it, probably as a retired corrections employee. I just didn't know how this would go, but it has been phenomenal. The women have been incredibly strong, and I don't know why that surprised me, but it did. I think I've had five births 
and four of the five cut their own umbilical cords. Oh, um, wow. oh yeah, they were, and I'm sure that that is empowering for them, you know, but, um, the staff has been extremely supportive, you know, pre COVID. I don't know what this is going to look like now, but pre COVID yeah. we had two prenatal visits in the facility to get to know the mom, find out where her birth preferences were so that we could support her in the best way that we could. And then, you know, we get the call when it's time for us to go to the hospital. We stay through the labor, delivery, birth, and then we have up to two hours with them postpartum. And if there's any type of consultations, we can get an additional hour. We can stay for three hours. Um, the moms, basically, you know, I've, I've learned a lot in this process, things that I would not have considered because I'm not in that situation. It's like sometimes it can be challenging for them because obviously they came into prison pregnant. Yeah. So yeah. maybe has with them the entire time. So they know that once they give birth that they have like 24 hours at the hospital with the baby and then they go back to the facility and the baby is there until the family or whoever's picking the baby up. Um, you can see the, it's like an intense moment when that, once that baby is born, mom just wants to hold on to her baby. That's all she wants. Yeah. And, and we had to do some additional training about, so we would have a better idea of what that might look like. Because in some women, it could actually stall their labor because they know that once the yeah. baby is born, they have to be separated. Personally, I haven't seen that. Um, one woman did express it to me, but her yeah. labor wasn't solved at all. She did say, you know, my baby is no longer going to be with me. And it's like, wow. And, I, and I can understand that. I can understand that for me when I, you know, if I know my story going into prison, pregnant with my daughter. And um, thankfully I was able to go to a program but I was, that I could take her with me. But other than that, I would not have been able to have my daughter with my, at my past history with Child Protective Services because I lost all my kids because of being on the streets for almost 20 years. And here I was in prison. And I can tell you when you said that you were, you don't understand because you're not in their shoes. I can tell you somebody that was in their shoes, that was, that has been in their shoes in prison pregnant. And you, you literally waiting for, for your child to be, taken away from you. And, and, and I knew that all I knew, all I felt was like, I'm just going to kill myself. I can't live through having another child snatched from me. I'm not living through this. It's, it's just, it was, it, it takes your breath away. It, it just knocks the air out of you. And, and so I was, you know, thankfully to God, I was able to go to a program, but you're working with women that going back to prison um, after they give birth to their children, and I just, and is there any support that's set up for them, you know, after case, or is it back to business as usual, you go back to prison to finish serving your sentence? What, you know, is there anything that continue from, from what you do as a doula, um, or is it like once the birth is over, it's over with the women, regarding the women that's going back to their sentence? Pre-COVID, we were allowed to go back to the facility twice for two postpartum visits to, you know, just connect with mom, 
try to see where she is, how she's doing. Um, there is with the um, pregnancy coordinator in the facility, you know, handles a lot of that. But once we have our two postpartum visits, we that's that's all we can have. And for my last birth, I wasn't able to do the postpartum visit. We did one phone call because um, of the COVID-19 situation. Um, I couldn't go back in, but they did arrange where I could talk to her at least once. So it, it just that got really complicated with the, with the lack of movement. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yep. So we're kind of concerned about how it's going to go moving forward, but I guess we'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, I remember yeah. go ahead. telling a story um, about when she went in pregnant with Orlandra, where she didn't have enough time in order to be part of that program. Tony, talk to them about like what you did in order to be able to, to, to keep Orlandra. Well, I, um, okay. I leave it to a co-host to turn it back on me to tell the story to interview me. I just love my ladies. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, for me, I had to actually ask for time. I had to ask for, um, more time. I was in prison with my daughter, and um, I was there for violation of parole. One of the charges. Now, this is my 83rd arrest, 66 convictions, and I'm pregnant, again, in prison. And so in order to go to this program, you had to be eligible for parole or probation. And But, you know, one of my charges was violation of parole, and believe me, they don't want to hear – they ain't trying to hear that. They don't want to bring you back in front of the board if you're there for violation. But uh, so I ended up going uh, – I had to go back to court. I had one more charge, and it was a charge where it was only findable. It was findable. They caught me to crack pipe without the, the drugs. So it was a findable offense of $500. The judge was about to to close the case because she, she can't pay. But I said, Your Honor, I need time because I knew they said if I, I need at least um, suspend the sentence of um, no more than three years. Um, no, le- no more than three years, but no less than eighteen months. And so I asked them for. I said, I need two years. I need you to give me a two-year sentence so I could be eligible for this program. Now, mind you, I still the parole board still saying no. She's not eligible to go because she's here for violation. I can't give her parole. This is what the, I went in front of the parole board, and he was like, "You have never completed probation or parole successfully." Why are you even here? Why why are we even having this meeting? And you know, it just goes it goes to show what God can do. When the world tells you no, God God made up his mind, yes. Can't nobody tell you no. So I go to court, I get the time that I asked for, I go back and um the warden had um had said that if I did ask for my time, she would try to find a way for me to go. So again, parole board wasn't gonna allow me to go. So what they decided to do was allow me to go to the program as an inmate, meaning, you know, they did they would they wasn't willing to parole me yet. So they allowed me to leave the walls of prison to go to this community program, but I was still a ward of the state, meaning for my OBGYN checkup, uh, I had to go back into the prison to get my checkups because I couldn't get benefits elsewhere because I was already a ward of the state. So I had to go back. So count times they were called the community program and said, is Kane still there? Put her on the phone. You know, every count time. I couldn't go out and hang out with the girls and they went out to the stores because I was still considered a prisoner. And 
miraculously, I'm telling you guys, uh, I went into labor on um, August 15th. That was a Sunday. Just that Friday, I got a call out of the blue. Two weeks after I was I was sent to this program for prison, I got a call that said, Kane, you're now on parole. I'm like, two days before I gave birth, that so that means I was allowed to give birth in a regular um, a regular hospital unit instead of the prison unit. And so it's just, that's all God. It's just such a miraculous thing that God did. But I had to ask for time, and then I had to go, I had to go, to go back and forth to the prison to get my OBGYN checkups and all of the, all of my services. But you know, here I am, 16 years later, right? And um, it, it's just amazing. It was just amazing to see how um, God moved in that. So, but you know, when you're in that situation, you you there's you know, I didn't go in with a lot of hope. You know what I mean? And until I was able to to call out to God and then have these opportunities supported me. Um, I had a lot of case managers that surrounded me to help me to to move forward with my daughter, to help me take care of her, learn how to take care of her, learn how to have a secure attachment. So I'm just so grateful that, you know, Arnetta, what you guys are doing, um, it makes a difference because I'm pretty sure that a lot of the women, because I'm with one of them, a lot of women that's in prison that's pregnant is don't have a lot of family support. You know what I mean? I knew my child was going to go to the system, you know, and I'm, and I'm pretty sure you had worked with people that child went to the system and not, you know, to a family member. Well, fortunately, the five that I've had, um, only one mom gave her baby up for adoption and everyone else, a family member, did take them. Awesome. I don't know about the other doulas because, you know, that's not information that we really can share. But yeah, of course. With my, um, four of them kept their babies. You know, the family kept their babies. And one mom put her baby up for adoption. But she she was amazing to me. I mean, she she was in a really good headspace. She, I think she had two or three other children, and she said she knew this was best for her child, and she did an open adoption, which she had started prior to coming to the facility, and she was able to follow through with that. That's awesome. All right, Annetta, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the information that you're giving us. Come back on this show anytime to help us stay informed about this. Thank you for the numbers you've given us, and most definitely thank you for what you're doing to help people to live a healthier lifestyle and to be able to get through this tough, these, these dark times of being pregnant in prison. Um, you're making a difference. God bless you, and thank you for joining us. Um, my co-host today is Amanda Elliott and Teresa Chandler. And I, want, I just want you guys to get to know them a little bit because this is not going to be the first and last time that they are first time, but it won't be the last time that they will probably co-host with me because I just love them. I just love the work they do. And I just love their hearts. You know, trauma informed care is about the heart. It's a heart's work and they have the right mindset and, and they have been working tremendously hard to help move their systems of care to be a trauma informed system. So um, let's, let's start with, who want to start? Amanda, let's start with you because <laughs> I'm so with you, Amanda, because you're gonna you're gonna say something that that I'm gonna have to roll my eyes at in a few minutes. So let's get that over with. <laughs> <laughs> so 
yeah, we're doing some amazing things in Michigan. Teresa and I both work uh, for the Michigan Department of Corrections, and we are very, very passionate about infusing trauma-informed care into everything that we are doing. Um, we've been working, um, doing trauma work for many, many, many years, Teresa and I, and we've been, you know, we like to say, you know, at some point, oh, well, we can only control the, old, the, the mud in my own mud puddle. That's a Teresa quote. And um, for so long, we were really focused on doing trauma-informed work with the women, which is absolutely great and, and completely needed. But I always said, you know, if I had my way, you know, we would be doing trauma-informed care work across the board because we know we need it for both the men and the women that we work with. It is so prevalent, and it is such a, a pathway to crime, and, and, and it can just treating their trauma can do so, so much. So. Um, the Department of Corrections has actually taken a great step and put in their strategic plan um, that we will become a trauma-informed department as a whole. So that is one of our strategic plan objectives um, on our plan that goes through, I believe, 2022. So that is how much our director and our administration really believes that, yes, it does need to be statewide. We need to infuse this into all of our work. And so we're doing some great stuff um, with that, uh, Teresa, do you want to talk a little bit about how we're infusing it into prisoner? Well, uh, our men and women with this experience into the programming and then also the MI? Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I'd like to start out by saying for, for me and my walk here, <clears throat> Tony, you were pivotal in that because literally the first time I got involved with trauma-informed care was we were doing a program called... Uh, uh, collaborative case management for for women at the women's facilities and with our field agents. And one of the things that um, uh, shout out to Steve Hollowell who found your video, and that became a staple in our training. And it was a huge awakening for me to see uh, to see from a different perspective. Um, I'm a, I'm a white female, and I grew up. Um, with white privilege that I didn't know or realize I had. And um, every experience I have with you is a learning experience, and it's something that I'm able to share and, and, to, and to really um, infuse in, in the work that we're doing because y y you don't do better till you know better. And um, so thank you for that. Um, you have had a huge impact on our, our work. Um, one of the things. Hey, let me say this. Let me say this, Teresa. So let's tell the story <laughs> before you. Do uh, true. <laughs> Which one? Um, yeah, okay. Tony. I was so, telling Tony tell about that. Is it about how we stalked her? I I'm, mean, I'm, in a, I'm, in a no, it's about it's about crossing. There's something as simple as crossing the street. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I was telling Tony maybe two, three years ago, I was like, you know, I heard this term white privilege. And to be honest, the first time I heard it, it kind of ticked me off, you know, because I'm like, what do you mean? I don't want this. I don't, what do you, I don't understand it. And I didn't realize, I remember Tony, you saying to me, um, Tracy, we're not mad at you for having white privilege. We want you to use white privilege to level the playing field or to help people who don't have the same privilege. And I remember thinking, then I needed to know more about this. And one way that you taught me about this was we were in Detroit, we were getting ready to do the second annual mean conference. And I was doing the some promo third, shots yeah. of you. Yeah. Third. yeah. We were, um, I was doing some promo shots of you down by the, the Joe Lewis um, arm. 
and we were going to cross the street and nobody was coming. It was a one way street. Nobody's coming. I'm like, yeah, the red light's blinking, whatever, but nobody's coming, so we're not going to get hit. So I go walking across the street, and I'm cruising across, and I realize uh, that Tony's not with me, right? So I turn around, and I'm like, what are you doing? Come on. She's shaking her head, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> and I get across the street, and then I wait for the little white man to pop up, and, and Tony <laughs> comes across the street. And I said, what was wrong? What's the deal? She goes, first of all, 83 arrests, 66 convictions. You didn't see that cop right there. You walk across the street, you'll be fine. I walk across the street, I'm getting arrested. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> but the no funny part is, uh, it was a lady, an uh, um, African-American lady that was on the streets with us. And we, me and this African, the total stranger, we just, we watched you walk across the street. And her and I just looking at each other like, uh-uh, do not follow her. We are not following her. So I just thought that was so funny. I get across the street, and you're like, what? What's going on? Why didn't you come across that girl, please, lady? Uh-uh, I ain't, I'm not getting arrested in Detroit today, okay? And, no, but see, um, that's what we don't understand. It's, it's like people who don't understand their privilege have no clue. And, and so we've got to educate ourselves about stuff like that and, and, and help to get that message out. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And I think that people, a lot of people um, think that, you know, that we mean that it, it means that white people didn't, don't have a hard time. It's, it's not that. It's just that your skin color didn't make it a hard time for you. It's not one of the things that made it hard for you. You know what I mean? It, and that's exactly what it is. Nobody's saying that, nobody's saying that um, you know, any anybody, any color has a hard time, but it's not your skin color that made it hard for you. You know, that's all that's about. That's all that's about. Yeah. And, um, and so... So yeah, so that was the moment. So let's get back. We're going to get back to um, you um, with motivational interviewing. How that's been um, helping people. Okay, so motivational interviewing is. I mean, it's all over the place, and people hear the term and they think it's about you know interviewing. And the reality is, is motivational interviewing. It's a way of being with people. It's a way of interacting with people that empowers them, that draws out their goals, and that helps them reach those goals. And so. As a Department of Corrections, um, we've we had smatterings of it in years past, but I had somebody approach me and say, "Hey, can you bring this trainer back in?" And I like I was like, "No, we need to do this like full throttle, or, or we need to stop playing games." And so we use motivational interviewing in order to convince our administration, and they've been totally supportive to provide the full training for every staff member in our state. And so we have literally trained. Um, 2,500 people just in this first year, and it's a five-year project, um, in motivational interviewing. One of the ways that we've been able to infuse trauma in there um, is um, through the work that we've done with you. We've got a lot of tools and tips as to how do you educate correctional staff who are dealing with a, with a marginalized popul- population of people who have experienced trauma, how do you help them understand how they see things and, and show some empathy? Right to be able to to um to do that, and so we've been able to take some of that and infuse it in our MI training, and so we're we're really proud of that. Yeah, yeah, and and you guys are just when I tell you that I have I have never met anybody so determined to make sure that a correctional system is going to be trauma informed. Not just let's make sure that we treat people well, but let's make sure that we are fully informed and that we are you know implicated implementing a lot of 
um, tools for our staff to use. And you look at, um, I always thought that corrections got it, though. I, you know, you know um, one of my friends used to always say, corrections get it, because when you tell corrections, what I'm about, what we're about to train you on um, can absolutely probably prevent people throwing urine at you. You know what I mean, and if you, you know what I mean, so so corrections like if you can if you can help me stop having urine thrown at me, and uh, I'm all for it. You know, mental health you know has been the most difficult um, um, system to train the psychiatrists really, um, but corrections get it. They're like whatever can stop me from having to, to get a you know have to take someone down or or get into uh, altercation, and you know I just want to make it home see my family at the end of the day and if I can can um be trauma informed and be safe and then treat people and help people to feel safe is a win win. Yeah. I mean we've got our work cut out for us because not everybody who works law enforcement uh comes to us in the best mindset. And so Amanda and I, the work that we do is to educate them and to help them understand you know, the, basically the human condition, that it's not an us against them thing, that law enforcement and, and our, our clients, you know, we're still human. And how can we work together to reach the goal that we both have of you being a pro-social law-abiding citizen and reaching your goals? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and that's what it's about. And, you know, you're right. Like, it's, it's, you're never going to be able to um, get to everybody because, you know, trauma-informed care is a mindset. It's, you know, it's some people that made up their mind no matter what. They believe that people can't and won't get better. You know what I mean? And, and unfortunately, we have people in these in these positions that truly believe that. You know, you come to work believing that um, that it's just, it's not even, it's not even possible for people to get better. And they really believe that. So um, I think that, you know... Yeah, that, though there are That's people who amazing motivational interviewing skills to build their own intrinsic motivation to learn about how it can help them be <laughs> We use our training. We, you know, and, and we have a lot of training to go. Like but I think it's important to say that we are doing some great stuff in Michigan, and um, but it inspires me that we can continue this work. It gives me it. it it gives me hope for the future. I, I, I mean, yeah. it doesn't seem daunting to me. It seems like, you know what, this is necessary and we have to do the work and we have to yeah. continue to train staff and we have to, and, and not just about, um, you know, our clients, but I mean, for their own self, you know, yeah. well-being and health, because, you know, there's trauma for the staff that we work with too. And if oh, they don't take care of their own stuff, they've got going on they're not going to be effective with working with the clients that we work with so i mean we need to just continually educate yeah absolutely so i just want you know i just really want to thank you guys because um you guys not only just say well tanir we we you know we're using your video you know we are we believe in a trauma and trauma care effort you know we work hard but i mean anything that i have done from from the moment that I've that I've met you guys, you always have been willing to be a part of. Like you came to came to Baltimore. Did, did you you came to Baltimore, was that your first conference, Baltimore, right? Yes. It was our first 
conference, and it, it was when you didn't know it, but we were going to make you our best friend to see what happened. <laughs> so we said, we're going to drive down there, we're going to meet her, and we're going to make her love us so that she continues to work with us. Well, a mission accomplished, mission accomplished, because you guys came, and oh my goodness. But when you came, you was like, even the, even just, it wasn't about just the, the conference and but the gala and just how you guys were just the love that you showed me and and it just was amazing it was amazing i i'll, I'll, I'll never forget that night you can, you helped me celebrate my 50th birthday which i thought i never did at 21 and <laughs> you were looking uh fabulous <laughs> you guys were great you did you guys okay we all look so great we cleaned up well so, um, but after that, you was like, I had a lot of people ask me, well, Tanir, can you bring your national conference to upstate New York? I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of invitations to come different parts of the nation, Minneapolis and all of that. And, um, and now that I think about it, we should have went to Minneapolis, <laughs> but, um, we, I decided to go with Detroit as the third conference and it was absolutely amazing because the Department of Correction allow you guys to work with my organization, um, my nonprofit needs care to successfully bring the conference to Detroit. And I must say it was one of the best conferences we had. Um, we, we had to, we had to find chairs to add in. I mean, you guys did your thing. You said, if you bring it, we'll help fill the room up. And you did, you did. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I, thank you for trusting us. It was um, especially because I don't know if I told you this beforehand, probably because I didn't want to, but I had never planned a conference before. I can tell you that now that it's over and successful. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, I'll try. <laughs> oh, again, you guys was amazing. You guys was amazing. It was like, it was the best. It really was, you know. So many great memories, and had so many great um, presentations. You know, you guys, you, you will never know that you guys never did a conference before. And then, being a part of last year in Orlando, Florida, you guys flew into Orlando and just you just you just did your thing. You you just got in there. You you guys got in there and moved me out the way, <laughs> as you guys all, as everybody always do. And I um, said, so we'll take care of this. We'll take care of this. And you just, um, you guys are great. You guys just, you just get in there and you just make yourself, you know, known that I'm here. I'm here to help. I want this to be successful because I, you know, I know we have a friendship, but I, and I, and I, but I know your heart. I know you want to be successful because you believe, like I believe that more people know about trauma-informed care and the more people have the awareness and that training around it, the better this world going to be. You know, um, so I thank you guys for yeah, that. I do. Absolutely. I do. And I want to I wanna give uh, some big kudos to Teresa's son, who yes. uh, came and helped us at the Detroit conference and was so yes. interested to learn about trauma himself that, you know, Teresa can brag about her own son right now. But, I mean, he graduated this year and he came down to Orlando and helped us there too. I mean, so we're passing on the message to younger generations that maybe will help stop this. Oh my goodness, Jackson! I love about Jackson this. Is, Jackson is just—he uh, just—it's just no words. He's such an amazing, amazing young man, and you know, he is the the man that I had chosen for my daughter to marry. <laughs> <laughs> He's a 
doctor. A doctor. He's a doctor. He's a doctor and young man. <laughs> you know, this. No, he was 15 when he came with me. He was 15 when he came with me, and he came and he did the merchandising for you. And mm-hmm. I remember he, he, he soaked everything in, and I remember that night he said, Mom, I have to talk about this. I, how do I deal with this when I go to school and I, and, and I see the signs of the students that I'm, yeah. that I'm with that experience trauma? How do I be the best friend for them to be able to, to, to help them through that? And he has since graduated. He just, he just graduated valedictorian. He um, is... Uh, majoring in um, clinical psychology, thanks to you, um, with a focus on trauma-informed care. So he is a a team member on your team, whether you know it or not. Yeah. And he he's the one who says, "Mom, we're going to every one of these things, whether whether you like it or not." So um, yeah, yeah. He, he he recruited me after after you. Well, Jackson, you know, we love you. I love you, you know, and uh, you you are. I look forward to when when I got to Orlando, I was like, oh, Jackson, come. I kept saying, oh, I'm going to get to see Jackson. I'm going to get to see Jackson. And congratulations to you. Congratulations to you on, on graduating high school with honors and uh, ready to move into um, trauma from care. You're not going to get a second job because they really don't pay that much if you're going to marry my yeah. daughter. So um, she's um, a little high end. <laughs> but it's the reward. It's the work that's rewarding, right? Yes. <laughs> It's just it's just been amazing to meet him. And if we can educate more young kids, just imagine because usually we don't really work with any students um other than college students, you know, when it comes to trauma from care. Just imagine we could bring this awareness to the other Jacksons of the world, of our nations and then high school and have them, you know, with that mindset going before they even go to college. How amazing is this? So, you know, Jackson, we love the fact that you are a part of um, Means Care. You are a huge, important part to us. And we look forward to your leadership in this as a, as a young man and where you can take the next generation for Means Care and for everything that you're doing. And, um, and we just love you. Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. You know, and, um, and I'm just so thankful to God for you, as well as I'm thankful for your mama. I'm thankful for your mama and your auntie, um, Amanda, um, not by blood, but I know that she's your auntie because how close your mom, her, your mom and her um, best friend is. I want to thank you guys for being on the show. Um, hey, Teresa, I know that in your mind, I give us a really good scripture to end with. I know I put you on the spot, but what's your favorite scripture? Yeah, you know, um, I think that in today's uh, environment, uh, I don't even know if it's appropriate, but the, I keep saying this too shall pass, this too shall pass. And we have so much yeah. hurt hurt and anger and frustration in our hearts. And the idea that the racism is going to pass is, is, is not realistic because God knows 55 years we're still dealing with this crap. Um, but we will come back to a place where the anger hopefully will subside and we can treat each other with love and yeah. we can, we love, we can love all people. We can come to, um, um, a, a place of learning and understanding. And so I keep telling myself this too shall pass. This too shall pass. Um, Absolutely. I, I'm not even sure what verse it is. 
but that's well, not this, that's good. this too shall pass and and it's one of my favorite verses as well and guys it is you know right now it's very very dark time so we can't forget that we are lights we are to be light in this dark world so those that are lost can be that can find their way out of this and we continue to give hope we continue to give hope and no matter what remember my motto where there's breath there's hope Guys, this has been such an amazing show. Please don't forget to follow me at Tonier Kane, T-O-N-I-E-R-C-A-I-N. Please um, follow me. Go to my website, Tonier Kane, T-O-N-I-E-R-C-A-I-N.com, and look at all the online trainings that we are offering now because of COVID-19 and all the other products that we have. Um, our proceeds go to helping trauma survivors. So we're always putting products out there to make sure that we have enough funding to, to help people. We're about giving hope. We're about doing our part and um, loving others. I love you, Teresa. I love you, Amanda. I love you, Jackson. I appreciate you, Annetta. And I love you, too, girlfriend. Hey, guys, we got lots of work to do. God bless you. And thank you for joining the show. And for my audience, guys, thank you for tuning in to the Healing with Mean show on WOLB Talk Radio, 1010 Talk Radio, Baltimore. I'll be back here same time, same day next week, guys. Until then, be safe, trust God, and look forward to a bright future. Goodbye.